The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body and won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Top of the day to you all. I hope you are all enjoying our entry into the holiday season. I was walking home the block that it takes from my apartment, you know, from the subway, and I passed a Rite Aid that's uh, about a block away from us, and lining the entire top window of the store were three-foot reindeer (laughs) that were, they were like, I guess they light up and they were facing each other like nose to nose, but like butt to butt, nose to nose. (laughs) And I found myself in shock that we are already diving headfirst into the holidays. I always feel like it just sneaks up on us. But I mean, at the same time, I feel like the commercial world is just trying to sell everything a little bit sooner. So, but it is upon us. Don't fear, though, I am not going to talk about the holidays quite yet. Before I do get to this week's topics, though, I am going to give you my usual rundown of open class offerings that I have coming up in the city. That's New York City. Currently, I don't have any upcoming classes at STEP, so all of these are at Broadway Dance Center. My basic ballet class returns this week on Sunday at 6 p.m., and that will continue uh, through January when it will change over to an ad- absolute beginner workshop. So those are pretty much for 18, 18 years and over, and they start right back at the beginning. So come in and get your basic ballet on Sundays uh, until January. And then if you want to learn a little bit about ballet, if you haven't done it before, come meet me in January. Uh, when I did teach my, my absolute beginner workshop over the last eight weeks, there were many sad faces. So I'm glad that they asked me to do this again. I'm sure it'll bring some smiles back to those that were disappointed faces. Also, I have uh, beginner ballet classes on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and advanced beginner ballet classes on Fridays at 6 p.m. 
all of my classes just got extended through the end of January, so hopefully I'm doing something right. So why don't you do something right and give me a chance to help influence your training? I'd love to see some of you in classes. Last announcement before we get going. After this week, Pod to Chat will be transferring its release schedule to a bi-monthly podcast. If you listened to last week's episode, I just launched a new blog, Dancing Off Stage, about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. In order to remain fresh and continue offering regular and valuable content, I decided to post episodes every other week and blogs on the opposing weeks. I've almost created 100 episodes here, and I want to make sure that this podcast is a long-term endeavor, not just a short burst of information. So this feels like a positive move to make sure that I keep bringing you content long-term. Um, I also have a lot of other things going on that I can't necessarily talk about right now, but I have a lot of ideas in the works and I want to make sure that I'm throwing a little bit uh, or a lot of my energy in each of those directions so that I can be successful in everything that I do. (laughs) Uh, But I just want to say thank you to all of you for understanding and for your support as I hope to continue bringing years of audio glory in the form of dance talk into your homes, workplaces, and on your commutes. Alrighty, now that we got through that spiel, let's talk dance. I was reading an article in Dance Teacher Magazine recently, which I only started subscribing to in the past few months. <laughs> and <laughs> I haven't gotten another issue since this one, <laughs> because after the first one, I forgot to pay the subscription fee. Um, what happened was I, I said, bill me later, and then I moved, so I didn't get my notices. <laughs> and then I just got something in the mail that was like, you haven't paid for your, your, epi- your episode, your your issue of Dance Teacher Magazine. So that's resolved. I'll let you know what happens when I get the next ones. <laughs> Maybe I'll have something to talk about there. But anyway, so um, I started subscribing to Dance Teacher Magazine and I was reading an article about the strains of teaching and thought to myself about a lot of the things on there. I've never really experienced things like losing my voice from teaching. I read this article around July uh, and I, I mean, I was teaching a couple hours a day, but not a crazy jam-packed full-time schedule every single week. Um, And little did I know that I was about to learn a few lessons in surviving as a teacher after reading it. After my first week of full-time teaching back in September, I could barely speak by the end of the week, which for me, the end of the week is Tuesday. It's kind of confusing. Wednesday is my Saturday. Thursday is my Sunday if I even take a Thursday off. So, But anyway, so it was the end of the week, and my voice got real sexy raspy, which many of you probably heard if you listen to this podcast regularly. My voice did not sound normal. In that moment, I realized that this article was completely right in talking about the need to learn how to protect your voice as an instructor. I have great voice projection, so I never imagined dealing with this issue. (laughs) There are a handful of things that you don't realize about teaching, um, many different challenging aspects of teaching until you do it on a regular basis. And I'm just starting to figure this out. As in the past, I've only taught here or there. And then when I did teach in those full week bouts, it wasn't like it was continuous work. It wasn't a regular schedule. It was usually like master classes or I was brought in for weeks. So I'm just starting to figure all this out. So I figured I would offer some teaching survival tips to help maintain your body, voice, and sanity. So since the first thing I started talking about was protecting your voice, let's talk about that for a second. So um, one thing that I saw in that article was breath control. And I, I have actually really been thinking about that while I teach. I tend to just... I mean, I'm a loud person. Um, <laughs> but I, I tend to just 
talk, 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 talk. And I don't even notice uh, that I don't take much time to breathe. So after that first week when I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this every single week, I actually said, okay, I'm going to have to take a moment and, look, and think about it. So what I find is that if I actually focus a bit on my breathing, it's not so much when the focusing on like taking a, like a deep breath in that way, but it's the idea that if I pause between a sentence or every two or three sentences, it forces me to stop and take a breath. And when I do do that, then I do take that deeper breath, which helps me uh, not strain my vocal cords as much. It's more about the idea that I'm pushing air through my vocal cords versus just like babbling on from the like a strained place. Um, this isn't so much an issue in ballet because in most of my ballet classes, I have live pianists playing music, um, more so in my contemporary classes, uh, and especially in open classes where sometimes I teach my classes, I go back and forth between doing a more academic type class versus a master class style warm up where I just flow through it. But I find that if I talk if I'm talking while there's music playing, if I play the music really, really loud, I like to feel my music. But if I play it really, really loud, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to lose my voice if I'm doing more than an hour and a half, two hour class because I'm just shouting over the music. So um, if we're doing like a master class flow warm up, um, usually I'll lower my music just a little bit. Uh, and if I am giving corrections, if I'm stopping and starting giving, I'll, I'll give the corrections when the music's not playing. That way I don't have to shout over top of the music. Another thing that I've found really valuable, and this takes a little bit of time, you have to work with the groups on a regular basis, but if you create certain cues with your students that are, are regular corrections, like I'll say rear end in, or I'll say tummy tights, or press your hips forward, or thighs together, or heels forward, different things like that. Those are simpler. Uh, in contemporary, I also have a handful of things that aren't as straightforward. But if you have a cues that you regularly instruct your students on doing, all you have to do is say one word. You don't have to throw out a slew of words to make sure that uh, your dancers are are getting uh, corrections and improving and, and all of that. So these are things so far that I have learned about protecting my voice. All right, another area that I think that we should talk about is the idea of showing combinations. Uh, and this is it's a little bit of a different story from teaching ballet for me as opposed to when I'm teaching a contemporary class. Uh, one, I mean, one thing that I like to do, and not everybody can do this, but I, I like to take a class in the morning every day before I teach. And like I said, I know this isn't possible for everybody. Some people teach first thing in the morning. Um, other people, they don't have access to classes. Maybe they have another job, things like that. But I find if I take class first thing in the morning that I, I'm much better throughout the day. My body feels better. It doesn't hurt as much. It's almost like you're warming up to rehearse. And when you're professionally, when you're professional performing, um, it's kind of the same thing. So if it's not an option to take a full class from somebody else, I say give yourself a warm up at least through Ronda Jams at bar, or if you do a contemporary warm up, maybe just do something that involves cardio work. Uh, like I'll start with roll downs and I'll do some tondus and I go through some different types of arm movements and contraction series and do some plies and whatnot just to get my, my blood flowing and make sure that I, I have some flexibility in my, in my body. So I'm not just doing it cold Turkey. Was that a holiday reference? It's already coming in. Okay. Uh, Another thing that I'm starting to learn is you can call students out to show exercises as you speak it to them uh, versus just showing every single 
combination. Um, and I think this is actually a really important tool because it helps cultivate uh, faster learning for students and retention. It also gives them a little bit of a moment where they feel like they're on display and um, it makes students eager to want to work harder. And we are performing art. So, I mean, you should be prepared to perform at any moment. Um, also, be sure to teach students to learn content through words just as much as a visual. I, I, I'm constantly having conversations with my kids in classes and even my adults. Um, and I, I try to make sure that there's a verbal conversation happening throughout it, throughout the, con- the, the, the classes. Uh, a lot of my younger kids, I'll make, them, I'll, make, I'll make somebody recite the combination out to me out loud after I've said it once, but not show me. Um, and I'll make them say it in a shorter way. So if I say tendu front and close, tendu front and close, tendu front and close plie, I make sure they say three tendus and plie so that they can start compartmentalizing information in their head so they can learn faster. Um, another thing that I've heard a lot of people uh, do, this is for ballet, is that they alternate showing sides at the bar. So maybe they'll show plies on the right, they'll show tendus on the left, they'll show uh, more accented tendus on the right and fast tendus on the left and jetés on the right, things like that. Um, this doesn't always work. Right now, I've been having a little bit of a bout of hip tendonitis, so I tend not to show anything on the left after Ronde Jambes. So, um, but yeah, there, there are different ways that you can get around this, and I'd be curious to hear if anybody, any teachers out there listening, have any uh, suggestions on how to, you know, keep your body together while you're still showing uh, content in class. All right, this is kind of <laughs> this is one for me that's kind of relevant right now, so that's why I'm talking about it. But handling different ages of kids. Um, there's such a variety of students. Let's not even say kids. Let's just say handling different ages of students. Uh, I mean, there are creative movement students that are very young. Then you have the like seven to eight to nine to 10 year olds that are just starting to learn technique. Then you get more intermediate, like the 10 to 12. And then maybe pre-professional, like 14 and up, 13 and up. Um, and then you have the finishing training students. Then you have the company class dancers. You have the adult recreational dancers. You have it all. So um, this is really a challenge for me as I, I don't generally teach kids under the age of 10. Um, and then also in my in my classes, I actually had a, somebody at the front desk at Broadway Dance Center tell me, I watch your class, uh, my advanced beginner, my beginner ballet classes. They say, I watch your classes here and there. And I, I'm very impressed by the fact that you're professionals in your class all the way down to students that uh, maybe belong in a level below, but they're trying out your class to see how, how it fits for them um, and how I'm able to teach the whole range. So um, it's not easy, but I, I try. But for me, especially kids under the age of 10, whew, that is rough for me. <laughs> um, this year, I've taken on a group of nine to 11 year olds, which is, like I said, way out of my comfort zone and preference. Uh, sometimes I feel more like I'm babysitting instead of teaching, and that's just really not how I go about things. But I'm glad I'm trying this out because it's forcing me to rethink methods that work for older groups and uh, applying them differently or coming up with completely different ways to do it for younger ones. Finding ways to, ways to challenge the students uh, but maintain their shorter attention span takes a lot of thought and care. I always say dance is more fun when you can dance well, which drives my educational approach and perspective. But for the younger age groups, you actually have to actively include fun and joy into your exercises. I also find that breaking up information into shorter bursts helps. Goal setting is another big item I include for younger kids. At the beginning of class, I tell them my goal for the day. This is really helpful because it helps us assess if we are doing well as a group or if we're stopping to talk too much. I call it story time <laughs> or if we're dealing with other issues. 
I tell my kids that story time is for before or after class and we try to stick to our rules. Lastly, my least favorite part, we incorporate a strike system. Don't really have to use this very often and if I do, I never get to the end. But if a kid is really acting out or disobeying the rules or won't stop talking, they get a warning or two and then after that, they incur a strike. If they encounter three strikes, they have to sit for the rest of class. Um, and I usually make them grab a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen and write down corrections. So it's not like it's just they get to relax. Older groups tend to be a bit easier for me, but I still often have to incorporate a lighter version of what I spoke about above. Every studio culture is different. And when I first enter a studio, I often find that etiquette is no longer being taught. I've said countless times to my students, if depending on what, what type of uh, school they are or where, what their background is, I might say, if I were Travis Wall, would you be acting this way? Or if it's a strict ballet school, if I were Natalia Osipova, would you be talking while I was talking? A good dance educator is a master at fluidity and adapting to the dancers in front of you. And I'm slowly getting better at adjusting my practices depending on the age group or the skill levels of the, the schools and the students in front of me. So that's what I, I, I do for uh, handling different ages of kids. And, and like I said, just because one kid is 10 and another kid is 10, it doesn't mean that they are going to act the same, same different schools. Just because one kid is 10 in a competition school doesn't mean that a 10-year-old kid in a recreational school is the same as a kid who's 10 years old in a pre-professional ballet school. It's really, you got to step in the studio and you got to be a master at adapting to what, what's in front of you. That is truly what I think the best uh, types of teachers do. All right. So like I said in the last one, I don't usually do younger groups of kids uh, below the age of 10. Um, and there, everybody has their preferences. And sometimes you get put into a situation where you commit for a year and you go, okay, well, I'll try it out and I'll see if I like it. And if I really like it, I'll stick with it. And if I don't, then I'll move on. Um, but sometimes a year can feel like a long time. So um, also if you're teaching a ton, um, how, how do you remain inspired? So this one is remaining inspired. Um, there, there are a handful of things that I will tell you that you should incorporate. I can't tell you that I always do. Um, this is kind of some, it's kind of like one of those do as I say, not as I do. Um, but some of this I've incorporated, some of it I've, it have been, has been a learning experience for me and I'm still always trying to find new ways to remain inspired. But First things first, when you're constantly giving, 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 putting out material and uh, offering your own knowledge and experience, um, sometimes you run out of that pool of information to pull from. So I like to maintain a healthy schedule of periodical reading, um, attending performances. I, I love sitting down over drinks or even in just like our faculty rooms discussing ideas with colleagues um, and watching content online or I mean, wink, wink, listening to content online. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's really important to uh, to keep on diving into information. Um, the physical therapist at uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet, I always called him a virtuoso physical therapist because that's what the news called him out there. But he worked with uh, sports stars and all the main sports teams in Seattle. And he chose to work, continue working as one of his main jobs with the ballet, Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, I remember when I was younger, I was in my early twenties and I, he's, he's a very, very, very great friend of mine now. Um, and 
we built that friendship quite quickly. But um, I remember at first when I found him reading periodicals about uh, his his practice, his physical therapy practice. Um, and I was like, why, like, don't, aren't you busy enough? You're working like eight hours, 10 hours a day. And he told me, he's like, you can never stop learning. Um, and especially because so many things are changing in the physical therapy world with new technology and, uh, just, new ways of treating and different ideas. Um, he said that it was so important for him to do that so they could remain up to date. And I guess that kind of stuck with me. Um, so I am voracious when it comes to digesting information about my profession and my field. Um, and it's grown even greater since I've transitioned into teaching and choreographing and speaking and writing and all this stuff. So make sure that you're, you're keep, you keep on bringing information in. Um, another one, this is really important because I've seen a lot of teachers that start to burn out and they do this. Um, it's important that you refuse to go on autopilot or phone class in, even when you're exhausted. Um, I've seen teachers that they'll sit on a chair and they won't get out of a chair the entire time. Um, they'll peek at their phone every 10 minutes to check what time it is. Um, and it's just, you can see almost how miserable they are. And I think that they're actually making it worse. Um, I'm very much inspired by my students when they're inspired. And if I can get one student in a class, just one, that's all I need to latch on to an idea and to see the, the improvement or to see that they're really like giving me their all, it makes me want to do more. So if you go on autopilot, you're not going to have that opportunity because it's not going to, it's, you're not going to have that ability to bounce things off. I, I very much think that teaching is a reciprocal act activity. Um, I don't think so much that I teach. I think that I reveal things to students that they didn't know that they had. And then when they get it, it excites me and makes me want to reveal more. So it's like this back and forth and back and forth. Autopilot, I think, is one of the most dangerous things. I mean, as a professional dancer, most of the dancers that would get injured during shows, especially like Nutcracker, where you'd be doing 40-something shows, it would be like the second or third week when they had performed the roles enough that they were just kind of phoning the performances in and they were on autopilot and they weren't thinking. And before you know it, they would roll an ankle, they'd be out for the next six weeks. So I think it's the same thing for teaching. Remaining present is pertinent. <laughs> Um, another thing that I think is important, make sure that you're using music that you like, especially in contemporary classes. I mean, you rule your classes. It's not like you have to play classical music that a pianist is playing. So make sure that you're using music that you like. Um, also sharing personal anecdotes to bring students into your life and career experience, I think helps keep you inspired because when your students are interested in you, again, you, you are interested in helping them. It's, it's just life is reciprocal people. So <laughs> give something, get something. Um, another one. And I, I said this previously, continue your, your own practice. Um, I remember posting on Facebook once I can't remember when, and I'm not going to say who, but I made a very strong statement about how it is necessary for anybody that is still working in the ballet world to take class. If they want to continue to be a valuable uh, valuable to their, their profession. And I, I upset a couple of people with that. I don't know if I completely believe that anymore now that I'm aging a bit, but, um, I do find that, uh, 
continuing your own practice, it really helps you remain inspired. I was so impressed today. Um, I'm, I don't, can't believe I didn't know this, but I got to steps on Broadway a little bit early today to take Nancy Bielski's class. Um, and I was sitting outside uh, of the two main studios. There's many studios there, but there are two main ballet studios. I was sitting outside there um, stretching and Nancy Bielski came walking out of uh, a class. And I was like, wow, you're taking bar. That's amazing. And she goes, you know, I take, I take class every day. Um, and I don't know how, how old she is and I'm not going to reveal it if I did, but she's been teaching at steps on Broadway. She's a guru. She's a, a, one of their main teachers, one of the most popular teachers in the city. Um, and she still takes class all the time. And I see people in Nancy's class that are standing beside me that are teachers like, uh, and repetitors like, uh, Vic, Victoria Simon, uh, uh, one of the Balanchine Queens. Um, back when I was down in, uh, Santa Monica performing with Brock ballet, Patricia Neary, she originated many Balanchine roles. Um, even in her seventies was still taking class. So I think continuing your own practice really helps stay inspired. Um, another thing, take breaks and treat and, and, uh, just take care of yourself. Um, I know that I, I know that, uh, it's hard to take a vacation, but you need to have some time off. You can't just teach nonstop all the time. Um, and then lastly, I think only maintaining schools from year to year that really appreciate you, pay you a fair wage and respect you. If you feel like you're underpaid, if you uh, feel like your students don't appreciate you, if you feel like your school doesn't appreciate you, if you feel like your your abilities are being abused, then you should probably look into going somewhere else because longevity is only going to be created through remaining inspired. Alrighty, I got one or two more uh, teaching survival tips for you here. So, uh, surviving a long day. <laughs> Sundays and Tuesdays are my hardest days right now, where I teach nearly eight hours, if not more, and I commute at least two, um, which is way better than what I was doing before, but they're still very long days. Um, First and foremost, it's important to try to incorporate some rest time. I, I always try to ask schools to give me a 5 to 15 minute break in between classes, but that often isn't how schools function. They are more interested in packing their schedules uh, full so that they can get students and tuition and blah, 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 um, than protecting the longevity of their teachers or the longevity of their careers and maintaining them in their schools. For this reason, I tend to head to the bathroom between classes. Whether I need it or not, or whether I need to use it or not, uh, I do it in order to have a moment to myself. And I, I find this really helpful because students tend to want to bombard me with questions. They want to tell me about their weeks or more. You remember that story time thing I talked about? I currently have five regular schools, including Steps on Broadway and Broadway Dance Center. This means that I often teach at multiple schools per day. If I have a little bit of extra time, I'll actually go to the gym so that I'm doing something for myself, or I'll make sure that I grab lunch and if it's not too cold out or raining, I'll sit in the park for a few minutes, or I'll go to a, a nice public area that I, I want to just relax in. And I do that just to remind myself that there is life outside of the studio. I also find that I need to be extra prepared for long days with content and material, make sure I have enough uh, to drink and enough snacks to bring with me. But yeah, back to that content material. As the day drones on and my mind starts to tire, it is good to have material to fall back on because it can 
be completely miserable if you start to feel yourself fade. You know when you're, s- you're staring at your students and you feel like all of the lights slowly are starting to fade from the outside in, almost like you're like somebody's slowly turning a switch down. Yeah, that happens sometimes. But sometimes if I have a little more to give, I'll change up that plan on the spot. Uh, Long days are hard and can be physically and emotionally draining, but the financial payoff and the progress of your students can help push you through your longer days. Alrighty, my last teacher survival tip is knowing when and how to say no. I tend to have this issue, especially being a new teacher in the New York open class scene. I'm afraid to say no to any classes that may be offered to me. I want my schools to know that I am dedicated and eager, and also it's nice to have that extra boost and that financial payoff at the end of the week. Also, who knows when one class opportunity might lead to more or choreography gig or beyond, especially, like I said, teaching here in the New York dancing at open classes. For these reasons, it can be especially challenging to learn the art of kindly saying no and leaving a trail of interest and respect to those who are seeking your services. When asked to teach whether I can actually teach because, or I can't actually teach because I'm booked or I need to make sure that I'm not teaching 12 hours a day every day and burning out, I always respond with at least a couple sentences in the message explaining why I can't teach. My employers probably don't need to hear it, but I want them to know that I could if I would. And I also make sure to express that I want them to continue keeping me in mind for additional classes in the future. It is such an incredible honor to be wanted as an instructor, especially in the capital of the dance world at some of the, the most famous drop-in schools in the country. So I want, to, my, I want my employers to know that I am appreciative and want to continue building opportunities. And you can do the same whether you're working for one school that's asking you to come in and sub for another teacher or if they're asking you to do additional rehearsals for, for different projects and things like that. Um, it's, it's Like I said, it's great to to be wanted, but if you feel like you're over uh, exerting yourself, over stretching yourself, over whatever I'm trying to say yourself, um, it's important to have the ability, that in your toolbox. The word no <laughs> it should be in your toolbox. Yeah, we want to be able to say yes, and that should be a very, very valuable tool in your toolbox. But no is also just as valuable because it is what keeps you going. So, that is what we have today for your teaching survival guide. Uh, like I said, I, I'm not new to teaching. I'm just newer to long-term teaching, like like full week teaching. Um, so this is uh, a lot of this is based off of stuff that I have either experienced myself over the past five years. Um, conversations that I've had with uh, colleagues and peers, and also things that I've that I've read and in, in my quest to stay inspired (laughs) um i i'm curious if like 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 i've said before i would love to hear from you guys and i'm curious to hear if uh any of you teachers out there that have uh, a lot a lot more experience than me have any other tips or tricks to surviving this second stage of your dance career so you know how to get in touch with me. You can always head to my contact page on my website, which I'll say in one second in the closing, um, and you can reach out to me there. Uh, and if, if I really like what you say, I will be sure to add that into a future podcast. So I think that with that, we can bring this episode to its finale. 
I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorlis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts. We have a brand new sponsor, Body Wrappers, so go and check them out. Or you can book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. First off, I have Dancing Off Stage, which is a brand new endeavor where I will be giving great information about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I spent five years talking about freelance artists. I also have a YouTube channel, B. Corollas, featuring my choreography, and you can find that at B. Corollas if you search on YouTube. Thank you for listening in to Pod Chat. I hope you return every other Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.